Now I'm going to transition to our uh, time of uh, guest speaking with James Penner. James is a Lethbridge-based speaker, author, and sociologist who specializes in youth and all the things that happen during that tumultuous time. Uh, he's going to bring us the word this morning, and I would love to pray for him. And so, James, are you here? Here we go, right in the front. That's wonderful. He's going to be sharing a little bit about uh, emotional healing and how God can work through us in that whole process. James, let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for your spirit, which inhabits it and makes it alive and living. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're going to be speaking to us through James this morning. Open up the truths to us and break down the walls that keep us from you. Lord, thank you so much for this gift. And thank you for the gift that James is to the Christian kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for that, David. It's great to be here. Emotional healing is part of the gospel package And that's really good news. Today is going to be a participation Sunday. And uh, Ken Esau, who is a good friend of mine, Old Testament theologian at Columbia Bible College, he says church is a spectator sport. No, a participation sport. And so we get to participate. And as we participate... I'm going to share with you a 38-year-old that God is slowly changing. And let's pray together. God, bless us with insight and console us with hope today. It's a brutal time to be a human on the planet. The world is overwhelming writes Derek Thompson, Why American Teens Are So Sad, April 11th, 2022. And an inescapable news cycle creates an atmosphere of existential gloom, not just for teens, but moms and dads as well. Add a global pandemic, a war in Ukraine, unprecedented periods of social isolation over the last two years, record inflation, and politics that are more divided than ever. And no wonder sadness is up. And in our consumer society, society, something else is taking place. According to Zygmunt Bauman, you know what happened during the pandemic? Every single one of us was fenced off from everyone else, but within our own little fence, we were able to shop. Identity formation is lifelong hard labor because the secret of this consumer society is every individual is competing with every other individual And the goal is to commodify myself, to turn myself into a product which I market to you. No wonder it's so exhausting, according to Zygmunt Bauman, the Polish sociologist. And so this past week, I'm sitting in 
Starbucks working on this sermon, and this sharp middle-aged lady comes up to me and says, Hi, James. And I said, How you doing? Not so good, she said. Do you do mentoring? The issue is there's all this pressure on the outside and we know what we feel on the inside. Most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation and go to their graves with the song still in them, says Henry David Thoreau. And yet the good news is that that song that is inside of us was put there by Jesus. And emotional healing is part of the gospel package. When Jesus was on the earth, he responded to people in exactly the same way that he would respond to people today if he was here physically on the earth. In Matthew 9:36 it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and so what did Jesus do The verse right before that tells us what he did and it said he taught he preached and he healed and then he says in the next verse so pray the lord of the harvest Because, hey, the harvest is plentiful. And the verse after that, he says this. It says this. He called his 12 disciples. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus, your name is love and hope is inside of me. I want to tell you about Ian. We did an exercise at an event that we did, and here's Ian's mask. On the outside, Ian would tell you, I'm smart, I'm strong, I'm fun, I'm kind, I'm cool, I'm friendly, confident, brave, gifted, unique, and yes, a thug. Ian's a bit of a badass. And he wants to be. But the other part of the exercise was, hey, Ian, what's actually on the inside of your mask? This is what Ian wrote. I'm spirited. I'm alone. I'm angry. I'm mean. I'm a weirdo. I'm stupid. I'm bad. I'm weak. I'm violent. I'm a black sheep. I'm a fighter, I'm lost. And then three words that just cut to the heart. Because Ian says, I'm fatherless. I'm unwanted. I was a mistake. What? You're portraying this. How do we make sense of this? And if you would talk to psychologists, they'd say this is what happened for Ian. Zero to five, five to seven, Ian's right brain developed. And do you remember that inside out Walt Disney movie 
right? There were five emotions, disgust, sadness, joy, fear, anger in that movie. Well, guess what? Zero to seven, those emotions just exploded inside of Ian. And that's who he was. But if Ian was too much, he was shut down. If the people who were his primary caregivers thought that he was unimportant, he was neglected. And if he was not enough, he was shamed. And so when that little seven-year-old with all of his memories and needs and wants and experiences pocketed in his subconscious, when he turned eight, that little eight-year-old said to Ian, Ian, I'm going to take care of you. And what happened was the left brain started to develop. And in the left brain, all of a sudden, a narrative starts forming in Ian's mind to make sense of this. But that narrative makes massive assumptions. Ian, just because you were shamed doesn't mean that you're unwanted. Just because those emotions were shut down That doesn't mean that you're a mistake. And just because there were times your parents and your caregivers weren't there and your dad was completely out of the picture, that doesn't mean that you were fatherless. God's there to father you. And so the tragedy of Ian's story is that even though Ephesians 2.10 says, you are my masterpiece, Jesus says, I've created you with good works in mind, Jesus says, or Jeremiah 1.5 where it says, you know what, Jeremiah? Before you were born, I thought you up and I turned you into a prophet that I'm going to send to the nations. Ian didn't know that. So as a result, he's living with all of these words on the inside. Really, Ian? Friendly? But inside you're alone? Brave? But inside you're a weirdo? No, no, no. In our local mall, there is an airy store, which is a chain of American Eagle for casual wear, swimwear, and underwear. And if you go into the change room at that store, there is a sheer curtain in front of the mirror. So you don't have to look at yourself if you're subconscious. And you try on those clothes. And on the sheer curtain is a sign and it says this. Before you love what you see on the outside, 
you have to love what you see on the inside. Huh. Isn't that a massive task for Ian? And yet the good news is this. Jesus comes along and says, Ian, this is the year of my favor. I love what I see on the inside, even if you can't. My name is love. Hope can be inside of you. And this time, Lorinda is going to come, come up and play the piano. And as I said, this is a participation Sunday. I would love for you to take out one card, and you're going to have three minutes for this exercise. What are the words on the inside of your mask? Okay? You may go back to an early memory. My early memory was a horrific licking that I got. And out of that, I realized, and I've lived with authority figures are scary, but if I people please, I'll be okay. People pleaser is my word. Go back to an early memory and say, Lord, what are the words that are living on the inside of me? And write them down and... Uh, Ushers will come by and pick those up and just simply put them upside down so no one sees them and they'll come up here for part of the late, later part of the service. Write the words and then circle the biggest word. For Ian, it was mistake. What's your biggest word? Thank you. The gospel is about more than just forgiveness of sins. And what I'm going to share now is actually part of a Restoring the Soul podcast, number 163, with theologian philosopher Dallas Willard. I highly recommend this week that you take some time and listen to what Dallas has to say. What Dallas says is that for about a hundred years now, the Western church has been losing members and it's in part linked to what happened in the fundamentalist liberal divide. And the unintended consequence of that debate within the church was that evangelicals came to value propositional truth. And it's important to get theology right. But it's led to a reduced gospel. And for many people in the church, the reduced gospel is this. I'm a sinner. That's been paid for. I get to go to heaven when I die. Why? Because I 
have orthodox beliefs. But you trust the doctrines, Dallas Willard says, but you don't trust Jesus. The reduced gospel is a little bit like pornography. It gives you a sense of intimacy that you don't really have. Because the real gospel is this. God's in charge. We can trust him. Jesus is unleashing a kingdom on the earth. He is renewing everything in the world. This is about world transformation. And part of the transformation is me, is you. Why? He's restoring us on the inside because Emmanuel God is with us in interactive relationship. And we are part of a relationship of intimacy and impact. And when we look at the Bible, emotional healing is throughout the scriptures. So for example, in Psalms, we find Psalm 25, for example, or 55, completely full of those emotions, anger, disgust, sadness, rage, fear. My thoughts trouble me, says the Thomas, I, psalmist. I'm distraught. The wicked are bringing me down to suffering. My heart is in anguish. Fear and trembling beset me. But yet there's a confidence that something has happened on the inside. Cast your care on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. And when we look at why Jesus came, he says, hey, it's good news. It's binding up. It's freedom. It's release. It's comfort. It's a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Huston Smith, who wrote the book, The World Religions, has this to say about Christianity and Jesus in particular. The arresting feature of Jesus' language was its invitational style. He didn't tell people what to do or what to believe. He invited them to see differently. Confident that if so, their behavior would change accordingly. This called for working with people's imaginations more than their reason and will. If listeners were to accept the invitation, the place they were being invited to had to be real for them on the inside. So where did Jesus' imagery go? He said, hey, it's like like yeast in dough that over time just keeps impacting the whole thing. It's like a seed, you know, a mustard seed. And yet in time, it grows and grows and grows. It's, it's like new wine. Remember new wine you can't put into old structures? Because new wine expands. And so it needs new structures so that it can hold the goodness that is being fermented. And that goodness is being fermented in you and me. So a healing 
emotional healing is part of the gospel package. Here's where this impacted me. Ten years ago was the release of the hemorrhaging faith research. And when we did a cluster analysis on the data, we found that there were four different groups in our data. One group was engagers. They loved God. They loved church. We had another group. They loved God, but they were starting to have difficulty with their church. We called those fence-sitters. And then we had wanderers who had left the church and rejectors who were allergic to church. When we looked at the one variable that was most different between engagers and fence-sitters, in those who are loving God, loving their church, and those that are starting to drift away, except for the amount that they prayed, this was the variable. I have experienced emotional healing from help at a church. What does that say? Emotional healing and the young adults stay. If it's not there, they're drifting away. Here's what I, as a researcher, sense is happening. Young adults have massive BS detectors. And they will walk with their feet if they do not see the adults who are leading that particular congregation continuing to become emotionally whole and spiritually mature. And that links, lends me to this particular statement. Look at what Leah said. Here's what she said. When I get back into my car after church, I'm on fire. Not necessarily because of the messages, but they are good. But because of seeing, get this, other people who love others, love other sinners as though they were their own family members. And what I retain from this is this massive fire that reaffirms my faith. And I leave church utterly, utterly encouraged. Wow. 79% of engagers, this was their experience. Only 22% of fence-sitters, 3% of wanders, 1% of rejectors. Here's another quote. I was interviewing Sid in Toronto, and he had a vibrant faith, so I said to him, Sid, why do you have such a vibrant faith? And he said, oh my. We have this guy in our church, and he has all sorts of health problems. And yet, that's the happiest guy you could ever meet. You can't fake that. And that's why his faith was great. Now, we need a caveat. I am not saying that everyone in church will automatically have emotional health or get physically healed. That's not what this is about. No one is completely emotionally whole, but there is often more practical healing available to us than we realize 
And our role is to be open and expectant. Oscar Cullman, who wrote the book Christ and Time in the 1950s, the primitive concept of time and history, coined the phrase now and not yet. And this was the mindset of all New Testament writers. Something has happened. Something has started now, and we know where the story is going to end. So it's now and not yet. Like yeast that is doing its work. And one day that yeast will have been through the entire dough. So what is emotional healing? It is simply this, according to Jack Deere. It is meeting the Lord in such a way that whatever the limitation is on the inside, Jesus heals it. It is experiencing his affection, especially in an area where we have been traumatized and hurt. So how can I tell if I need emotional healing? Can I sit still for 30 minutes in a quiet room. That will tell, tell you. Because stuff will start coming up. And do you have to distract yourself and get back to work or get back to something else? Oswald Chamber has this line, or sorry, G.K. Chesterton has this line in his book, Orthodoxy. The weak are too sick to be still. Other things. I'm living in a duplicitous way. I'm one way in church and another way at work. Um, or I'm one way at work and I'm another way at home. Pete Scazzaro, who's written a book, The Emotionally Healthy Church. That was his dilemma because he was the pastor of the church and his wife came to him and said, I'm not going to your church anymore. This is a bunch of BS. You're talking this way at church, and you're living this way at home. And that was the start of him writing some fantastic books on emotionally healthy spirituality, the emotionally healthy church, the emotionally healthy leader. Another reason you can tell, another way you can tell is if you see God as a harsh taskmaster. If you're beset by daily anxious thoughts, if you lack empathy or have trouble forgiving someone, or you're stuck in a pattern, an addictive pattern with what are called beeps, a behavior, an event, an experience, a person, or a substance. Or, as was the case for me, there were childhood relationships that were characterized by abuse and neglect. And by the way, when you look at one through six, check, I was there too. (laughs) So how can I tell if I need emotional healing? I'd love it if the ushers would bring up the words, and I just want to read some of those words to you. Can you relate to any of these words? Scattered, quick to anger, 
too needy. Avoider of conflict. People pleaser. It matters what others think about me. Rejected. Not enough. Content. That's so cool. Blessed. So cool. Oh, but angry. (laughs) Fear. Afraid. Bitch. Failure. Useless. Are you getting the pattern? This is us. This is us. This is us in this church. You know the verse that says, confess your faults one to another so that you might be healed. Find someone who is safe enough to share those words and watch what Jesus does when those words come to the light. We're going to end today with an imaginative gospel meditation. Okay, this is different than typical Bible study. And typical Bible study is good, but there's a problem. We are in control at typical Bible study because we dip into Scripture rather than letting Scripture dip into us. You see... Sociologists would tell you that you have something called the vagus nerve. It's a nerve that goes from the back of your neck. Sorry, psychologists, sociologists study something else. Psychologists would tell you that you have a nerve that goes from the back of your neck, your mind, which is about thinking. It goes down through your heart which is about feeling, and then it goes to your gut, which is about doing. And yet often in Bible study, and often in Western churches, we just let it hit our head and go away. Hit our head, go away. Hit our head, go away. Hit our head, go away. And yet... What scripture is meant to do is hit our head, go down to our heart, we're going to feel something, then go down to our gut because we're going to be invited to do something, and we have the posture of lordship, right? So we obey what Jesus wants us to do, even though it's scary, it's going to head back to the feelings, yeah, it'll be scary, And then to the head. But as we do it, guess what? There is is communication going both directions. And when the Bible says know, that you're to know God, it's actually talking about the kind of knowing that is the same kind of knowing that I know Claire, right? 
Imagine Claire and me if I just let it hit my head and go away, hit my head and go away. What? I don't want a relationship like that, says Claire. So, right? You've been in a relationship long enough and you know what happens when it has to hit your heart and then your gut and it changes you. Ah! It's so beautiful. The intimacy when, you, when both of us are letting that happen is just the coolest. So here is the exercise. We're going to read John 5, simply verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to invite you to do something that for some of you might be scary. And what I'm going to invite you to do is enter the scene. Imaginatively, enter the scene. Okay? You might want to be in the background. We're going to go through it twice. And maybe the back time, you just want to go in this background and see what happens. Okay, but as you're able... Enter the scene. And here's what to do. Notice what picture comes to your mind without manufacturing it. Secondly, notice who is there in the scene and where you are. If you feel so drawn, talk to the people in the scene, especially Jesus. Don't make any judgments about yourself or about others. And just know, notice what happens and how it feels. And then your mind may be drawn to this question. Does this scene have any connection to what is going on in my life right now? And what might Jesus Say or where might he stand in relation to that situation? So I'd invite you now, simply close your eyes. And let's go back into the Gospels and let the Gospels sink into us, hitting both our heart and our gut. John 5, 1 to 9. And I'm going to read it twice. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I'll read it again. Feel free to enter again. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I'm going to give you about a minute of silence and feel free to journal or continue to meditate on the scene. I want to tell you what happened the first time I did this exercise. I just had a conversation with my brother about something that had happened approximately 38 to 40 years ago. And I got led to this exercise and right away I knew I needed to do it on the pool story because of something I'm going to tell you next week about being crippled. And right a couple days before I had discovered this, someone, a friend, was in my library. And he saw a couple of my books in my library. And by the way, if you have books in your, in your library, that doesn't mean that you agree with everything in those books. But this person was narrow, and he started lambasting me about why in the world would I have so-and-so's book in my library. By the way, it was Dallas Willard. And yet he was a friend. And I was trying to start to pretzel myself about how am I going to keep this friend and you know, maybe hide some books or what. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just in really deep turmoil. 
And I read this exercise. And it was like Jesus pointed out that 38 years in the same condition. And he said, James, you know what I'm doing? I'm healing you. I'm helping you so that wherever you go, my truth will be your truth. Just love that guy. And don't worry about what he said about your library books. Powerful. Powerful. I want to end with two slides. Claire and I were at a conference, and we stayed with a lady by the name of Helen. And she was in her Bible. She was in her Bible. She was in her Bible. We were there Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And she said this. God shows me things in my Bible, and I just share them with other people. It's like their name comes to mind. So I said to her, hey, well, if you get a verse for the gathering, which was the young adult group Claire and I were leading at the time, tell me, and I went to bed. The next morning, she said, I got a verse for you. And it's this verse. I believe this is the verse for the younger generations and the Canadian church. Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me. Why? Because they're going to experience me and realize how good I am. I'm the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God For they will increasingly, like yeast in dough, more and more of them return to me with all their heart. Isn't that cool? I am a grandparent. I'm Papa to little Ezra, little Levi, and then two others, Sophie and Theo, who aren't my children, but... We're surrogate grandparents. Wouldn't it be cool to know and see a vibrant church for their generation? And all we have to do is experience the emotional healing that God has for us in the real gospel and let, us lead, let it lead us to spiritual maturity. And guaranteed, the younger generation will find churches that do that. We're going to talk more about this and what emotional healing actually looks like in the next sermon. But for further healing this week, I have three suggestions. Share your experience of today's John 5, 1 to 9 meditation with someone, even if it's about your junk. Because John James 5.16 says that as we do that, we become healed. Simply do an experiment and see if you get healing out of that. Secondly, John Michael Cusick's Restoring the Soul podcast 163 interview with theologian philosopher Dallas Willard. I'd recommend 
you listen to that before next Sunday. And then feel free to prayerfully re-enter John 5, 1 to 9, or any other gospel miracle or parable passage, and let it hit your heart and your gut and your mind. All glory to Jesus for what he will do for us. Amen. Head, heart, gut. Where do we find ourselves in John 5? Friends, whatever the limitations on the inside is, whatever that word is inside our mask, whatever is keeping us from God, ask him to make that clear to us, make that clear to you this morning, this week, as you go out throughout your work day, on your vacation. Ask the Lord to help us to find emotional healing. What's keeping us back from embracing a life fully in him, fully living, not just existing. God wants us to know him. The call is to return to him. We have someone, uh, some people here, prayer teams at the front, if you would like to share a prayer request. Maybe you want to share something that bubbled up. Maybe that was triggered this morning and that you need prayer for. There's also prayer at sunwest.com if you need to Share a little bit more anonymously. Feel free to connect with one of us as staff or just share that word with that someone that you can trust. Friends, God wants you to live a life fully in him, fully alive, all that he has for you. Have yourself a great week. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Go in peace.